0: Welcome to the Life Christian Church podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread his love in ever-widening circles. Hey, if we haven't met, my name's Terry Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Life Christian Church, and it's great to see all of you. So, as you've already gotten an indication of, uh, I'm going to teach over this next several months about how each of us can greatly increase the probability of experiencing good things in our lives. Things like success and safety, blessing and prosperity, fulfilling relationships, freedom from anxiety, overflowing finances, along with sweet sleep, good health, and long life. Now I'm confident that I am gonna be able to help you experience more of the good possibilities of life because over these next few months, we're going to take a deep dive into the subject of wisdom. And Scripture teaches that when we get wisdom, we increase the probability of experiencing every good thing in life. Let me say that again. It's a very important statement. When we get wisdom we increase the probability of experiencing every good thing in life. So we learn this primarily from Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon succeeded his father David as the third king of Israel about 950 years before Christ. Early in his reign, when he was about 20 years old, Solomon received a visit from God in a dream. Most of you know this story, but you kind of, it seems to me, need to start here when you get into the wisdom literature of Scripture. God appears to Solomon in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, among other things, I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count number. So give your servant a discerning heart. Important language there. Give your servant a discerning heart so that I can govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you've not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings, and if you walk in obedience to me, I will give you a long life. So Solomon can ask God for anything. He asks God for a discerning heart. The word discerning in this passage comes from a Hebrew word which means to hear. A discerning heart is a heart that can hear. And so God, in response to Solomon's request, gave him a heart that could hear. Or another way that this comes to be described in Scripture is that God gave Solomon wisdom. A wise person has the ability to hear God's voice or God's word in every detail of life. A wise person has a heart that hears God's Word in every detail of life. I love that line in the movie, A River Runs Through It, where uh, the Presbyterian minister, um, played by Robert Redford, if I remember correctly, the Presbyterian minister is sitting on the bank reading a book while his sons are out in the, in the beautiful flowing water fly fishing. I actually, in, in the Gallatin River, I've actually, uh, fly fished in the Gallatin River. It's quite a beautiful experience, even if you don't know how to fish, which would be me. But nonetheless, these boys are out there casting, uh, their flies and, and the dad's sitting there on the bank in this beautiful scene reading, and one of his sons walks up to him, and uh, this, this guy, the dad, says, if you listen carefully, you will hear that the words are underneath the water. If you listen carefully, you will hear that the words are underneath the water. Solomon, when he received a discerning heart, received the ability to have... Or to hear God's voice and to have understanding about every area of life, from the great issues of life to the most mundane issues of life. He could hear the words underneath the water. Or he could hear God's voice in everything he observed in the world around him. He understood what was really going on behind the thing that could be observed. First Kings chapter 4 tells us that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else and his fame spread to the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about all kinds of things. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to hear, to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Because God gave him wisdom, Solomon was able to see God's design in everything and speak to every subject in a way that revealed God's plan. And because Solomon sought for wisdom first, he had an abundance of other good things, and this brought honor to God. You've heard the great story about the famous personage, the Queen of Sheba, who, or as she's called in other places in scripture, the Queen of the South who came because she'd heard of Solomon's great wisdom. Evidently, he had people visiting from all over the world, and they'd come and ask him questions. And she answered his questions, or, or he answered her questions in a way stunning to her. And then we're told in, in 1 Kings 10, when the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon, and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. The wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Solomon's wisdom was so stunning that not only was he congratulated for his wisdom but but for his wisdom but God was praised as a result of Solomon's ability for his heart to hear what was really going on in everything in the world around him now here we are 3000 years later and God in his grace has given us the ability to access the wisdom he gave Solomon and other wise sages through the wisdom literature of Scripture and particularly that wonderful book in the Old Testament called the Proverbs, typically called the Proverbs of King Solomon. Thankfully, Solomon didn't just have all of his wisdom, but he actually, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was able to leave us his wisdom in a way that we can access and learn from. In fact, Proverbs is going to be our uh, focus for the next four months here at the Life Christian Church. Proverbs begins pretty straightforwardly. Proverbs 1.1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction. So I have good news for all of us. We have the ability to gain wisdom and instruction from the wisest man in the world, the man to whom God gave this unique gift of wisdom. And so here at, at TLCC, during what we call Trimester 3, the last four months of this year, we're going we're to focus on wisdom through three series. Today, we launched this series called Ancient Wisdom, Learn the Secrets to a Fulfilling Life. It'll carry us through October in November, we'll uh, introduce another series called "Rich Relationships." This is based in in Proverbs. Rich relationships. Invest in your marriage, family, and friendships. And in December, we'll offer a third series based on Proverbs called "Wisdom Is Born." Advent at TLCC. Now, as always here at at, at TLCC, what we're trying to do on Sunday is to is to encourage you to fully embrace our spiritual growth plan that will help you grow in your life with God and this spiritual growth plan entails a number of things including uh, always a recommended reading but in this trimester our recommended reading is also um is also the daily devotional that we're hoping folks will follow over the next 4 months and it's a book by Tim Keller called um God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. It's actually a year of daily devotions in the book of Proverbs, but uh, we are offering several different ways that you can approach us over the next few months. And if you will uh, go on the QR code that's on the invitation to wisdom you receive when you walk through the door, there's actually a link to the Amazon uh, page where you can easily order this book and begin to engage uh, on in, a, in, a, in, a, in, I would say, just even five minutes a day. You'll be able to work your way through some great wisdom teaching over the next four months, uh, so that'll go hand in hand with the weekend messages, with our life group stuff, the things that are discussed in our small groups, and so on. And I also would say that part of what we're encouraging folks to do during our spiritual growth plan over the next few months is to read through Proverbs at least once. It's 31 chapters. You could actually read through it. If you read a chapter a day, which doesn't take long, you could read through it four times in the next four months. And what's the benefit of that? Well, the benefit of all of this is that you can gain wisdom. And when you gain wisdom, the fact is you really get everything. I mean, just to... The first three chapters of Proverbs, I just went through and underlined some of the, um, the, 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 the expectations that are laid out for us if we get wisdom. And here's just a, a quick little survey, the first three chapters of Proverbs. When we get wisdom, we get safety. Proverbs 133, whoever listens to me, this is wisdom speaking. As I will teach next week, wisdom is personified in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, and wisdom is talking, and wisdom says, whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. When you get wisdom, you get success. Proverbs 2, 6 through 7, for the Lord gives wisdom. He holds success in store for the upright. When you get wisdom, you get long life, peace, and prosperity. Proverbs 3, for they, those or, or the teachings of wisdom, will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. When you get wisdom, you get a good name. Proverbs 3, 4, then you will win favor in a good name in the sight of God and man. When you you get wisdom you get health proverbs 3 8 this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones when you get wisdom it's amazing how often in proverbs now i have to nuance this when i teach about this in coming weeks but it's amazing how often in proverbs we're told that when we get wisdom and we do what wisdom teaches that we get wealth Proverbs 3: nine, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. When you get wisdom, you get sweet sleep. How many of you feel like you got enough sleep last night? Can I see your hand if you got enough? It's the weekend. So about a third of you did, all of you online. I hope that you slept well last night and that you're not sleeping now. Proverbs 3.24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will get sweet. Your sleep will be sweet if you get wisdom. My point is that if you get this right, you get all kinds of other things right in your life. And this is what Solomon experienced. He got wisdom And then he got all this other wonderful stuff. And we have the ability to learn from that and experience that in our lives. Now, here's my definition of wisdom, or what I'm going to call during this series, ultimate wisdom. Ultimate wisdom is understanding how God designed life to work. Ultimate wisdom is understanding how God designed life to work. Now, there are other ways to define wisdom that are worth noting, and particularly uh, interesting to me is, is wisdom's relationship to knowledge. Like, we could say that wisdom is knowing what to do with knowledge. Or, maybe more importantly, wisdom is actually knowing what to do when we don't have perfect knowledge about a thing. If we had perfect knowledge about something, we might not even need wisdom. But when we don't have... Clear directions. Wisdom lets us know uh, what to do. But but I think that that we need first of all to see wisdom in its ultimate perspective. Wisdom is understanding how God designed life to work. See, it's possible to have and practice wisdom about a thing, but to miss the whole point. For instance, Jesus tells this story. Um, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, and I believe elsewhere, where, uh, he talks about a guy called a rich fool. And he says that, that, that this guy, uh, had ground that yielded an abundant harvest. And the guy said to himself, what shall I do? I don't have any place to put all this this harvest that I have reaped. So he said, I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger barns, and I'll store my surplus grain there. And I'll say to myself that I have plenty of, of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. To which Jesus said, Luke 12, 20, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So here's a guy who we might say is wise in terms of how money works. This is a guy who maybe you'd go in Barnes & Noble's and you look on the shelf, and this is a guy saying how to build a bigger business. And we would say that he has wisdom about money. He has wisdom, perhaps, about money and how the market works and so on. Maybe even this guy would understand Bitcoin, which is really, I'm trying to figure it out and having a little trouble just to be frank about it, but this guy might have even understood Bitcoin, as I'm sure some of you do. But when it's all said and done, he didn't have what I'm calling ultimate wisdom because he missed how money fit into the bigger design and plans of God's life. So he was a rich fool, wise about money as a particular thing, but foolish about how money, he, see, he didn't hear the words underneath the water. Do you understand? He didn't get the thing that was going on behind the thing that causes the thing to really be a great thing. I didn't think through that statement before I said it. So so I might study, let's say, I, I read a book by Elon Musk and quote from him perhaps when it comes to how to build a great car and how to produce them in, in, at scale and how to shoot a spaceship and so on and so forth. But I might not, I, I don't know enough about Elon Musk to say this for sure, but because he's wise about how to build a Tesla doesn't mean that he's wise about life. You understand the point? We're looking for wisdom that understands how God, the creator of life, designed life. See, ultimate wisdom is foundational. Wisdom in Proverbs said, I was there when he, God, marked out the foundations of the earth. What The kind of wisdom we're looking for is, is, is concerned about is foundational wisdom. How, how are things designed? Derek Kidner wrote, the only wisdom by which you can handle everyday things in conformity with their nature is the wisdom by which they are divinely made and ordered. So wisdom learns first and foremost from God and his word through scripture. These are the words underneath the water. Now, to get this kind of wisdom, we have to practice sincere humility. Because we're told again and again in Proverbs that to receive wisdom, we must be willing to receive instruction. And to receive instruction, we must be willing to acknowledge that we need instruction. Part of what happens when God comes to Solomon and says, tell me whatever you want and I'll give it to you, is Solomon responds by saying, I am only a child. Now, he's 20 years old, so he wasn't actually a child. He's the king of Israel, so he's got something going for himself. But this is the kind of attitude that that is a wisdom sponge. I am only a child. In other words, I need what is being said to me. Or as David Brooks wrote in his book, The Road to Character, wisdom starts with epistemological modesty. Epistemology has to do with the theory of knowing. So wisdom starts with someone being modest about what they know. They're not, in other words, a know-it-all. They're someone who, regardless how much they know, see, someone, if they really know a lot and they have any wisdom at all, knows how much they don't know. And so we start with an attitude of sincere humility. Proverbs fifteen thirty one. whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord and humility comes before honor. So we need to begin this trimester by saying, I need this. I'm in. I'm going to go after this. Or practice what Scott McKnight, the theologian and scholar, uh, says sums up Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, receptive reverence. We need to practice receptive reverence, where we're just kind of reverently receiving What's being taught, what we're learning as we're studying Proverbs, we're looking at the world around us over the next few months, and we're trying to hear the words underneath the water. So let me spend the rest of my time today just introducing the book of Proverbs. Consider today's message an introduction, okay? Proverbs chapter 1, 1 through 7 introduces Proverbs like this. for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we'll break that passage into three sections. The first, Proverbs 1.1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Let's start like this. What is a proverb? What is a proverb? Well, a proverb is a short pithy observation or warning or encouragement. Uh, The Proverbs in the book of Proverbs don't actually begin until Proverbs chapter 10. The first nine chapters, as many of you will know, is actually a beautiful poem spoken largely from the mouth of, of, of the personification of wisdom or lady wisdom who's calling us to embrace her, to love her, to follow her, to have a relationship with her. And I intend to teach about lady wisdom next week. But then the the Proverbs begin, most of them written by Solomon, some of them written by other wise sages whose names are mentioned in Proverbs. And these Proverbs express ideas commonly accepted as true. They don't argue for the truth of a statement or nuance it. And in fact... uh I think some folks have a difficult time understanding this, but Proverbs do not necessarily teach, at least typically, a universally valid truth. On the contrary, Proverbs are true only if stated at the right time and in the right circumstance. In other words, a proverb may be wise... But in order for it to be properly applied, someone has to have wisdom. So for instance, you look at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23, which says, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a timely word? Well, so 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 you say, okay, that's a good thing. Uh, it's a good thing for someone to have a good word to say to someone. But then it says, how good is a timely word? Well, here's an example of maybe not a timely word, even though it's a good word. Proverbs 27:14. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. So you say, but I have a blessing to speak over you. But if you wake your neighbor up with a megaphone through their window... You know, a blessing is a good thing in and of itself, but a blessing spoken at the wrong time is not the exercise of wisdom. Uh, in fact, a proverb can be dangerous if not used wisely. Uh, Proverbs twenty six nine says, "Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool." So, so we're looking not just. For the wisdom that's in a proverb, but for a larger spiritual quality, if you please, called wisdom that, that's in a sense almost a mystical thing. It's wisdom is informed by the things we know, but ultimately wisdom, well, wisdom, wisdom is the word beneath the water. See, it's this thing that somehow lets us understand the bigger thing behind the thing, and that ends up allowing us to be wise. It's also, I think, important to note that a proverb speaks as to how life works most of the time. The proverbs are not written as promises. They're written, if you please, as probabilities. They're more in line with a passage like, you reap what you sow which is to say that most of the time, this is how life works. Those are the kind of observations that Proverbs will make. But you can find exceptions to the rule if you want to. For instance, you can look at Proverbs twenty-eight nineteen, which says that a person who works his land will have abundant food, but one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. And you can say, well, I know a friend who who, who who's lazy as all get out, but they won the lottery. You can find an exception to the rule. But Proverbs is trying to say, this is how life works most of the time. If you'll listen to the words of wisdom, if you'll study the Proverbs, if you get a sense of how God designed life to work, this is how life is set up. This is how life is designed to work for you. The Proverbs are a collection of wise sayings gathered over the course of about 200 years, the best uh, scholars can understand. Again, mostly from Solomon, but from a handful of other God-anointed sages as well. And the Proverbs, it's helpful to know as you begin to read them, are written primarily from the perspective of a a dad and mom speaking to their son, who it seems like may be someone who's being set up to lead or to rule, which makes sense with it being written from Solomon's perspective. And we're given the opportunity to, to sit in on this conversation and to listen to a wise father and mother teach their child about how to live properly in this world. So let's pick up now the second part of the introduction of Proverbs, Proverbs one, two through six. For gaining wisdom, these Proverbs written by Solomon, are for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. You need wisdom to understand the wisdom of the Proverbs. These verses lay out the goal of Proverbs. The qualities mentioned here are all aspects of ultimate wisdom and describe how we will think and conduct ourselves if, in fact, we are wise. The scholar and theologian Scott McKnight sums up this passage like this, and I'll read a paragraph. First, a wise person, Proverbs informs us, gains instruction or correction in wise dealing. Second, the wise person has the attributes of righteousness, justice, and equity. Third, the wise person is prudent and has discretion. Fourth, the wise person possesses skill in knowing how to practice these various attributes. Finally, a wise person is receptive, malleable, and submissive in a reverent and respectful manner to the wisdom of one's teachers." And McKnight offers this concept of receptive reverence. He says receptive reverence involves observations of nature and the power of learning from experience. It involves learning, memorizing, absorbing, and living out the tradition in which one is nurtured. It includes learning from one's mistakes and from correction. Finally, receptive reverence knows it needs to respond to God's word as revelation. And for this reason, it all begins with the fear of the Lord. And the last. The last part of the introduction to Proverbs actually is the single most important verse in all 31 chapters. It's Proverbs 1-7, a famous passage. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. In order for us to have ultimate wisdom, we must live in the fear of the Lord, which I'll take a moment to explain. But first, the word knowledge here is an approximate synonym of the word wisdom. It speaks of a deep knowing, grasping, apprehending, understanding. It's also said like this, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What do we mean when we talk about the fear of the Lord? I don't often teach using that language, but this is an incredibly important truth that we need to get before we can really have a good discussion about wisdom. Trimper Longman, in his wonderful commentary on Proverbs, writes that, Fear, as it's used in Proverbs 1-7, has a semantic range that goes from what might be called respect or awe to utter terror, the fear of the Lord. Indisputable, however, is the basic premise that to fear the Lord is to stand in a subservient position to him to acknowledge one's dependence on him, in the context of knowledge, it is to recognize that there is no true knowledge without reference to him. So I would say it like this then. That at its core, the fear of the Lord is to acknowledge and worship God as God, the creator of all and therefore the source of of all knowledge, wisdom, and goodness. The fear of the Lord is to stand rightly before God to have some understanding as to who he is and some self-awareness as to who we are in relationship with him. It's not to walk around with your knees knocking, although if you're, you know, living foolishly, it would be a good thing for your knees to knock. Right? I could think of worse things than for you to literally be afraid that God sees you and is paying attention and that God is a God of justice, all right? But that, that's not what I want to focus on, but I want to say in and of itself, that's not as terrible a thing as we might think. But when we're talking about fear of the Lord, what we're talking about here primarily is a proper sense of self before God. It is to see God as God and to acknowledge him in his godness in everything we observe in life. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So when we fear the Lord, we have this sense that to him belongs eternal praise. It is about him. He is God. He is the creator. He is the purposer. He is the designer. He is the one who made everything that's made for the reasons he made them. And then in order for us to figure anything out, we have to get that part of our life right. So thank you. Wow. Wow. To all of you online, three people clapped. (laughs) C.S. Lewis said, In God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. We have to start here. We have to start with seeing God as God and ourself in proper relationship to him. The ultimate wisdom we're looking for can't be found in ourselves. We can only know wisdom in its ultimate sense when we know and worship God and understand the way he designed life to be lived. Again, I'm not saying someone can't have wisdom about a thing. Wisdom about how to, you know, Convey empathy in, a, in in communication in a marriage, for instance. Someone doesn't have to have the fear of the Lord in order to to teach about that or in order for me to learn from them. They may have wisdom, let's say, about communication in a relationship. But that doesn't mean that they have the kind of wisdom we're talking about. Ultimate wisdom would be to understand communication in a marriage in light of the big picture of why and how God designed marriage and what its purpose is and how ultimately it's to bring praise to God. This is the sense in which the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom, I, I read the most interesting article a few weeks ago. I was stunned by the headline. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by this kind of thing anymore, but here's the headline, New York Times. The new chief chaplain at Harvard, an atheist. I mean, it's amazing that a headline writer can write that and not laugh so hard that they can't write. The new chief chaplain at Harvard... The, wait, the new chief chaplain at Harvard is an atheist. So Harvard was begun in, in, in the early 1600s by clergymen who were concerned about how to train the clergy in the church as, as America had begun to be populated. It was founded by a pastor named after a pastor named John Harvard. And um, now, here we are, and on, on its crest, its, its uh, statement of purpose as to why it existed was truth for Christ and the church. I was amazed. In fact, Sharon, I don't know if you remember this, but a number of years ago, we were walking around Harvard, and uh, we saw all these etchings, and these etchings were blatantly Christ-centered. In fact, uh, this is unnecessary to the story, but it's, 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 uh, it's fun to remember. We were there that weekend because Christian, our youngest son, who most of you know was being recruited by Harvard to play quarterback, our oldest son, Caleb, was... There that same weekend, playing tight end for Yale, and uh, when it was his final game as a as a senior there, and when Yale ran on the field, Christian and I were standing on the Harvard sidelines, and that's not a very nice thing to do. I quickly moved to the section with Yale parents. But nonetheless, that weekend we're walking around and we're we're visiting Harvard and we see all these blatant Christian etchings in all these places. And it's hard to, to look now 400 years later and now the chaplain at Harvard is an atheist. In fact, part of what this guy, who I'm sure is a very nice guy, Mr. Epstein said is, we don't look to a God for answers. We are each other's answers. Now, why do I say that? I offer no criticism of Mr. Epstein. I am speaking to the absurdity of this idea and am reminded that there would be no Harvard but for the fear of the Lord. Do you understand it was created by godly people for godly purposes to have godly outcomes and now is so far removed as to not just remove God from the larger equation but to remove God even from the idea of a chaplain. Now, now, now here, here's the point I would make. If If all we're going to offer are the answers that we have inside of ourselves, I'm not interested. I love you, but you can only give me so much wisdom, and I hope that you love me, but if you're looking for wisdom to be sourced in me, there is an extreme limit as to what I would be able to offer you. I need you to understand that in order for us to really access wisdom, we must practice the fear of the Lord so that we can stand before God and ask God to give us the words beneath the water to help us understand the foundation.